Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you, get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. On the episode today, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Dr. Tiffany Woodis. Dr. Woodis is a OBGYN who has started a unique clinic in Dallas that specifically educates, empowers, and elevates black women and women of color. There has not been a clinic specifically designed to celebrate women of color, specifically black mamas, before. And specifically in South Dallas, which is where Doc Woodis' clinic is. And we get into a great conversation about how important representation is in all fields, as well as the unique perspectives she's done to really ensure that her clinic is set up for success and that all women who come in feel celebrated and challenged and empowered to be the best that they can be. It's a fantastic conversation. It's all about living your authentic self, which brings us today, today to today's, easy for me to say, to today's sponsor of the podcast, Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And the owner and operator of Snuffy is Nick Silvestri. Nick is a fantastic friend. He designed the Detox Podcast logos. So if you like his work and you want to go check it out, head on over to snuffy.co and go ahead and support him. Now, my conversation with Doc Woodis is up right after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Dr. Tiffany Woodis. Dr. Tiffany, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I realized that I should have said Dr. Woodis, not Dr. Tiffany, but I'm so used to my kid's pediatrician saying like, oh, just call me Dr. First Name. And so I just defaulted to that. <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> well, I'm excited. You know, we were talking a little bit offline. I'm very excited to have you on the show today because the mission statement of the show is to have inclusive conversations with people that have a different perspective from Yes, myself, but also from my listeners, so that way we can all become better people, help raise more inclusive children to make a more inclusive world. And I think historically, in a lot of circles that I've been in growing up in Texas, um, in white circles, I'll just say it, it's been difficult to have conversations because a lot of things that I bump up against as I hear like, well, I don't I don't experience privilege is, is a verbatim, right, that I hear a lot. And and I heard a quote recently that was so good from uh, a filmmaker named Sam Fader. And he said, privilege is invisible to those who have it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the fact that they don't recognize that they have privilege, it's not something that they've ever had to think about, is demonst- dem- uh, it demonstrates the privilege that they do have. The, the fact, the lack of having to think about where they're going, why they're going, what they're doing. So, but I want to pivot into that because I think what you're doing with your practice is so interesting and unique. And I'd love to really kind of, let's start with a little bit of background about who you are and how you got started in this specific medicinal field. And then of course, we'll go into what led you to create. Um, it is, what is, uh, what is, obs- I always struggle with the the OB word. Yes. <laughs> 
What is obstetrics and gynecology? Thank you. Yes, you can say OB-GYN. <laughs> there we go. OB-GYN. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, just a little bit of background about you and then what drew you into this specific field? Yeah, so I'm a small town girl from, from Arkansas. I grew up there, was born and raised there. I'm a preacher's kid. And in that church, you know, my my soul and heart was nourished to have a love for people. And so, um, you know, my, my family cultivated that in me. They cultivated kind of this warrior mentality that, you know, despite what it is, despite what it looks like, um, you know, we can, we can turn it into something positive. Um, and so that's where my love for people started and my passion for helping people. And it drove me into the field of medicine. I came here for training and I've been in training in, or in school rather, um, I've been, since school, I've been um, practicing since um, for the last 14 years. Um, and I started off at the university and just kind of life happened and I started growing my family and uh, my focus shifted and I wanted to be more available to my family. And um, so decided to take a step back from my position in academic medicine um, and do more of a part-time role just so that I could uh, work for and try to find that work-life balance that professional women are kind of always after. Um, and during that time period, I really started to um, delve more into some of the health disparities um, that unfortunately face women that look like me, black and brown women, especially when it comes to maternal health care and the maternal yeah. health outcomes in our country. Right. Um, started to really kind of look into the why behind uh, what was going on and trying to pivot myself into a position to be an advocate for those women and um, to give them a safe place where they could feel seen and feel heard um, and to help do the work that's necessary to improve these outcomes because they're just so abysmal. And so that's what grew my passion to start the clinic. I've always wanted to have my own private practice, but I just felt this sense of urgency with the current climate and all that we are learning and seeing in regards to maternal health disparities and women's health disparities in general. So that brings us to the clinic. The mission of the clinic is to educate, elevate, and empower our community, South Dallas, but it reaches beyond this city. We're really doing a huge marketing push um, to get the message out there because so many women um, don't have access to a provider that they feel they can connect with. Uh, Black women, unfortunately, are only 2% of the medical profession. And so uh, representation is, uh, is a key thing that really helps someone open up, be their authentic self, all of the things that are necessary to get the quality care that they deserve. So that's the mission. I'm excited about it. Um, the clinic is in orientation. All the staff is in orientation and training right now. We're gearing up, ready to go. The response has been overwhelming even before our doors open. And I just can't get, can't wait to get in there and make a difference. That's awesome. I love the mission statement of the educate, uh, empower, ed educate, elevate, and empower. Yes. Because I'm all about, so I've always said I want to educate and empower people to, you know, make a more inclusive world, but I love the addition of elevate because you're not only educating and empowering, you're elevating this knowledge and this representation and this care, because I think this is where it's frustrating. I think we're, we as a society as a whole, um, are starting to finally re-examine a lot of these constructs that have been in place for so long and recognize why is there such a disparity between, let, let's just take this field, why is there such a disparity for healthcare for women of color? Why is there such a disparity for um, loss of pregnancy or, or, or um, early pregnancy or just different care questions? And, and you know, I think 
historically, uh, no one has actually critically looked at it and said, well, maybe it's because the system is really only designed to serve one type of clientele and other people that are coming in that do not fit in that mold are almost an afterthought. So mm -hmm. let's re-examine that and create a, a foundation for everyone so everybody can get the proper care. And so I think that's fantastic to have a clinic that is elevating and this representation because it's so, I mean, I, I remember going to the doctor myself and, and it's just, it's comforting when you have somebody that, that looks and sounds like you and is able to kind of speak to you on this, like this level that you don't always have. And, and I think for so many, I mean, I don't know, I'm a, speak, sitting here as a white man, I, I don't know, but I would imagine to finally have somebody that looks and sounds like you in these spaces is a comfort that is um, just, it just is tremendous. Um, yeah. Right. We go into these levels and we have to almost these areas of care, we have to almost anticipate the bias mm -hmm. and then and we have to change ourselves we have to accommodate to the situation we have to reduce ourselves we don't get to be our, our, our authentic selves because we have to be on guard you know yes. we have to try to protect ourselves we have to try to make sure that you know we get, get through the experience and unfortunately we spend so much energy and devote so much time to those things which just aren't as important in the grand scheme of things when it comes to getting the the access to the quality of care that we deserve. You know, right. when you spend so much time um, explaining yourself, um, you you sometimes don't get around to the nitty gritty of what's important. A hundred percent. You know? Yes. And that only works against you. And right. so, um, yeah. It, it's exhausting it's to exhausting. have to retell your story. And you, you as a, per, I mean... <laughs> So many times I think we, um, as, as patients, when we go into the doctor, we assume that the doctor, um, or at least this has been my perspective. I'll speak for myself has been my perspective. When I go into the doctor, I've always had this false idea that like the doctor knows all the doctors, all powerful and the decisions that they make, you know, are the best decisions. But if I'm not giving them all of the information or they're not understanding all of my story, then they're decision on what's best for me is limited to what I've told them or what they know about me. And if I'm a different race and a different, um, from, you know, just have a lot of different genealogical makeup or, uh, whatever, then that continues to dilute the, the process. And so if I have someone that understands where I'm at, understands culturally where I'm at, um, understands where I am at from, you know, as a, as a person of color or a white person in this case for me, then they can go in and I don't have to re-explain where I come from and why it's, it's important and why, you know, the, 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 the way in which I'm reacting to different uh, medicines or different suggestions about what I should do for myself, my baby, et cetera, is different than uh, a white counterpart. And if you're having to explain that, expend all that energy I mean, yeah, to your point, it's exhausting and you've, you've lost the point and you might even get so frustrated. You forgot the entire reason that you're there, exactly. or at least most of the reason. Exactly. Exactly. We have to take it a step further though, because the reality of the situation is oftentimes we're going to be faced with a situation where our care provider does not look like us. And right. so then we have to make the effort as an institution to uh, be culturally competent and then yeah. the responsibility 
on the provider to understand implicit bias, to be able to recognize and identify implicit bias, to work against those things. And then there's responsibility on both parts, on the patient stand part as well, to educate themselves. Because you don't want to be at the mercy of what someone chooses to tell you. What someone chooses to tell you is informed by their bias of you. So what they choose to tell you or what they withhold from you, you know, is informed by their bias. So you have to have a foundation of education about whatever it is that that is uh, pertaining to your health information so that you can take that in with you and ask challenge and ask those questions, Um, you know, bring up points that may not have been discussed or left out because they just didn't think of it or they didn't think that you would receive it. You know, there are all kinds of reasons that inform what we tell patients, what we choose not to tell patients based on our experience, based on our bias, all of those things. So it's definitely multi-layered, multifaceted. I know that from my wife being a lactation consultant, something that's been really fascinating to understand is the lack of support for breastfeeding within the black community. And coming from the fact, even just taking a lot of the hospitals where there's not a lot of proactive support for someone who vocalizes that they want to breastfeed, just less of a, I I specifically remember a situation where when we were in the hospital with my first child and there were some questions that we had about latching and starting the process and the nurses were very eager about getting us the resources we need, lactation consultant, all of this, like here's all the resources, bada, bada, bada. And then seeing a video where uh, a black woman in a very, in the same area, in the same situation talking about how there were some initial struggles and they said, well, you know, it's always just easier. We can always do formula. They kept pushing the formula, pushing and pushing and pushing the formula as opposed to providing the support. And she said, it made me want to not do what I had already been intentional about wanting to do because I wasn't getting the support. And you, and that is a perfect demonstration of the implicit bias of, well, let's just do this because history, you know, this is, this is just what this, you know, you know, I'm trying to be careful of trigger words, but, you know, I can see people saying like nurses saying, well, this is just what the black women do. They, this is what they, they formula feed. They don't breastfeed. So let's just push this and not even worry about it. And it's like, well, you're not listening to the person talking. You're not listening to what they're saying. This individual person is telling you what they want and you're not listening to it. So yeah. So trying to how how can we as a or how can the medical community maybe is a better way to say it when there is such a staggering lack of representation and and a lack of representation in this field um, how can the medical community work to better educate themselves on these implicit biases because it's not it's not the job of people like you in this field with this specific clinic to educate the masses. It's everybody else's job to step up and do the work. And so how, how can, how can we even like start to, to turn, turn the, um, turn the tables on that and start the work going? We definitely have to do the work to diversify the medical field. That's the first thing. Um, We need to be in those spaces. We need to hear these perspectives um, from the provider standpoint, um, and the patients need advocates and allies on that side. And then there are a number of um, tests and evaluations that can be done that will help you identify. Because a lot of times, again, 
it's, it's, um, it's unconscious. It's just ingrained in us. And so you need to sit down and really analyze different scenarios, different situations that will bring light to these things. And you've got to be open to that. And we have to realize that everybody has bias. We all do. Um, But we have to be willing to have these tough conversations. We have to be willing to identify these situations. Someone has to be willing to to call it out um, and to refuse to participate in it. Um, The other thing that we have done on the maternal health standpoint is we have tried to objectify our approach. Uh, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say objectify, make our approach to uh, the care of women more objective is what I Mm -hmm. meant to say. Gotcha. Um, And that way, if you if you streamline things down to almost a protocol driven approach, you are more apt to treat everyone the same Mm -hmm. when you see certain indicators or alerts. Um, And so you can help remove some of the bias because you no longer get to make that subjective decision, if you will. There's still a role for it. And obviously it's still important. But what we find is sometimes our bias, um, you know, drives our decisions and makes us treat patients, you know, this this different patients in the same scenario differently. Um, And it is unfortunately killing black women, killing black and brown women. And so by making this protocol driven approach, we have helped to alleviate some of that and improve these situations. So there are a lot of different areas that need to be addressed for sure. But those are just three ways I think that would take us a long way. Right. No, absolutely. And the the representation I think is extremely crucial because when you have, when you're elevating and elevating this representation and you have young kids who are coming up who are able to see someone like them in this field very accomplished they're able to say this is a viable career path for me there's the unconscious bias that's being ingrained in them a society is telling that so you can have someone say you can be whatever you want to be but if the only people in the medical field are white men then that is tell that is society subconsciously telling you hey these are the people that are doctors these are the people that are teachers, et cetera, et cetera. But when you have that representation, it's so crucial and key. I remember I was I was having a conversation. So when um, when uh, Vice President Elect Kamala Harris gave her speech, and I was I had my daughter, and I was watching, and and I said, "This is a big deal. This is the first time there's ever been a vice president who is a woman, and she's a woman of color." And there's a lot of first. My daughter is five. Said why is this a big deal? Like anybody can, can be a uh, president or vice president. And I said, right. But historically that was not the case. And it was very vocal. People were very vocal about it. And she said, well, that's dumb. I feel like it's weird. She's going to be vice president. So I could be vice president. Right. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And you could even be president, you know? And so we got into that, but it's like, that was the first time that she saw that. And so her immediate reaction was like, oh, well, I could do that. Like she's doing that. I could do that one day. And, and that's where we have to show kids that, you can be a scientist, you can be a doctor, you can be whatever you want to be, because now here are representations in that field. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, absolutely. I I would love to know, uh, there was a description about your clinic as, uh, let me see, it was a, a boutique practice model providing services and amenities um, that are unique. So I'd love for you to kind of speak to what are some of those services and the, the decision to call it a, a boutique experience. I'm very curious about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we are striving to create a, a place where women, black and brown women can feel celebrated and not just tolerated. Love that. And I think that that in and of itself is a, is a powerful statement. Um, yes. And we're fashioning the experience 
so that, you know, the things that we need and don't even necessarily realize that we need um, are readily available to us. They're more accessible to us. Access to um, those components of education that will help build a stronger foundation for us to take back control of our health experience is basically what it's built on. And so this is um, an entire experience where a woman can come in and get wellness attention, mental health attention. Because we're at obstetric and gynecology clinic, we're focusing things like we're focusing on things like lactation support, mental health and wellness, doula support, um, things that aren't traditionally talked about in our community, but go a long way towards um, elevating our health outcomes. And so we are providing, striving to provide an all-inclusive experience, and we're striving to do it in a manner in which, again, that woman comes in and feels celebrated, and then she feels as though she's in the company of like-minded women who are all rooting for her, supporting her, um, and challenging her to continue to elevate um, and, and strive to take back control of her health narrative. So that is the mission, and that's, that's the culture of the experience that we're trying to provide. I love that that the take back the narrative of your health experience and and that is that is incredibly powerful because you don't hear that so often and you don't hear the celebrated right you do hear a lot of language around toleration and and uh, you know just not not very exciting and there's a lot of unnecessary there's a lot of there's a lot of intent um stress that goes along with that and then we we know from a scientific standpoint how ingrained stress is in our in folks dna you've got the the trauma that is passed down through the eggs through generations and so i think by just having somebody that understands where people are coming from and is able to let you, let let the women that come through know, like you are taking control of your narrative. You are now celebrated. We are wanting to challenge you to have you be the best that you can be. So you can make the choices you want to make. And we're fully supportive of all of your choices. That's unheard of. And it's incredibly needed. Um, I would say what has been one of the more surprising things that you found through the construction of your own clinic. I think you talked about a little bit about how people are already responding in waves with wanting to be a part of this experience, but in general, like what I would love to know, like what is something that's been surprising that you've learned through this process? You know, while the reception has been very warm, um, there is an uphill battle, um, in the work of convincing people that you're going to be different sure. um, and that because they have had to go seek, find the care that they deserve and need outside um, of, of our community and outside of, you know, just in our own backyard, um, there is this undercurrent of, of mistrust um, that I've had to work against. And so I've really had to think about and develop almost a narrative about how to approach that. Right. Um, with myself and with um, with the the staff that's in the clinic, and so, you know, I wish I wish that weren't the case. That that saddens me. It saddens me that we have had to go outside of our community um, to look outside for for the care that we deserve. Um, it saddens me that I have to work against that stereotype, um, and it's not even necessarily from outsiders. It's from you know you know people right here in my community. So that that part is um, an interesting. Thing to have to deal with, but I feel like we're up to the challenge and I feel like, you know, 
the mission speaks for itself. Uh, my work ethic speaks for itself, my heart for people. Um, and so I think that we will get there. It will just be a matter of time. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, I am interested in what you feel, how do I want to phrase this? How do you feel that, hmm, what's the best way I want to say? It? I think, I think when we think about, I'll say this, um, I, I, I want to know, you, you talked about uh, the clinic kind of being top of mind and, and really coming through this year and the idea, did, did you, with the, the protests and everything that went on this summer and a lot of visibility, especially from companies and corporations that had not previously been visible or vocal about supporting uh, black lives and talking about how black lives matter and the importance of saying that over and over again, uh, top down, did that inform the decision for the clinic as far as expediting it? Um, did it change some of the marketing uh, materials that you put together? How did that shape or did it uh, more companion piece what you were already doing? That's an interesting question. I think that it encouraged us to be even more unapologetic. Yes. For sure. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that the climate was right. I think that people were actively seeking um, this out. And I think it just, the opportunity presented itself to be vocal, to be loud, to be um, all of those things. I mean, it was in the midst of Black Lives Matter and it just naturally pivoted into Black Mamas Matter. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it gave us the even more confidence, if you will, to be unapologetic in the message. Um, and I think that, you know, our counterparts don't realize that they have so many institutions that are not necessarily just for them, but can sometimes not be welcoming. Uh -huh. uh, and, and that, you know, is unconscious sometimes, it sometimes may be intentional, but I think that, you know, we have to realize that it's okay to have a space that is um, not exclusive to us, but highlights the yes. experience and that's okay. And you don't have to apologize for it or, or feel that um, you can't speak about it or um, not feel that that it's okay to participate in something like that because everybody else has a space that's just for them, that caters right. to them, um, where they can be, again, their authentic selves, their true selves, and really come into the fullness of that experience and be accepted, not have to apologize for it. And so it definitely, um, it definitely allowed us to be more confident in being unapologetic, if you will. I think that's so incredible. And because there are, there are so many times where it, I, I think you can tell just taking a step back, looking at the marketing for a, um, a practice or, or the communications or the educational materials in the waiting room, there's a lot that's geared towards white moms. Um, and you don't really see that diversity um, and the inclusiveness of all mamas mattering um, because it, you can say 
all mamas matter. But then when you're showing only one side, well, then you're by default saying that black mamas don't matter as a result, mm -hmm. right? And so I think by being able to say, um, you had it really good and I just lost it on your website, but you had it so eloquently talked about, um, oh, here it is. It's not only black mamas matter. It's not black mamas matter more or most. It's black mamas matter too. And I think yeah. when, we re when we're able to recognize and accept and embrace that, not until we get to that point can all mamas matter. And I think that's the whole companion piece with the black lives matter. You know, all lives don't matter until black lives matter. And then when we're able to do that, then we're able to move forward as a society, but we can't say everybody matters when we're historically demonstrating that, that, that we as a society don't believe that. And if we're demonstrating that on a daily basis, then you can't say all lives matter. Well, obviously they do, but that hasn't historically been the case. Exactly. That's exactly it. I would, I want to know what are your, I know it's still so early in the process, but what are your uh, growth plans as far as locally? And then what would you envision seeing? I think maybe, maybe like, like long-term vision, we would love to see these types of clinics and practices throughout the entire country. And it's very much a norm of everyday life, but what are your kind of short and long-term goals for the practice? In the short term, I'm interested in developing a team all focused on the mission, and I really want to build um, this community of advocates um, because it's so important to have uh, the support that we need going through this labor and delivery and birthing process. Um, and it goes beyond family support. It goes into community support. It goes into doula support and all of those things because we really have to develop this shell of protection when we go into spaces. Um, so often mamas are in positions where they're vulnerable and not in a position to advocate for themselves. And so it's important to build a community of support for the women that we serve. And that's not just me, that has to do with all the care providers that they touch so that we can be uh, more protective as we navigate through the healthcare system. Um, and then in the long term, you know, I would really love to see the, the platform develop where we can get this message to the masses where it doesn't matter where you are, um, that, that where the information here is accessible. And, and that's why we're striving to develop additional platforms like YouTube um, and other vehicles like that in order to educate women. Um, we wanna develop almost a, a new mama bundle, if you will, yeah. <laughs> um, um, of information so that um, no matter where you are, you, you understand the unique nuances that inform and, and directly impact our birthing experience. Um, and so I want to arm women with that, no, you know, no matter where they are. Um, I would love to see physicians in this space um, really develop these type of advocacy clinics nationwide. I have found in my local experience here that a lot of of birth workers are kind of gearing towards this mindset, but I haven't found as many physicians um, in this space. So I have found myself in the company of doulas and lactation workers and mental health specialists who midwives um, who are really, you know, carrying the torch uh, for uh, improving maternal health outcomes, but I haven't found as many physicians be vocal about it. And I, and I, and I understand, you know, we, I'm not just one type of physician or a physician for one type of person, but I definitely have a unique interest um, in this very critical issue. 
Um, and I think that, you know, that is long past overdue. So I definitely want to um, educate more physicians um, about the urgency of this matter, because I really think that there is a deficiency even there. Yeah. Um, understanding the history behind, you know, why we feel the way that we feel and why the outcomes are so different. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's it's not taught in schools. I mean, we, we right? just aren't taught that. I mean, studies as recently as 2016 among medical trainees, medical students, fellows, uh, physicians found that we still hold onto those beliefs, you know, those those beliefs that, um, you know, from, an, from antivellum and from slavery that, you know, uh, black people don't feel pain the way other people do, or that, you know, all kinds of crazy things. Our skin is thicker, our, our, our blood clots differently, all kinds of things that, you know, unconsciously inform how you treat patients. And so yeah. there just is a huge lack in training and knowledge about these things. Um, and so that's what I hope to see. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, it's the, the fact that <laughs> training material as recently as four years ago is still is still baking in these these biases is is ridiculous and just indicative of how far we still have to go as far as a society to I think it's so nice to think at times like oh we're making so much progress and then you hear stuff like this and you're like oh yeah no we're still way far away from from where we need to be um before we kind of start heading into some of the final segments, there was a lot of really powerful stats that you had shared on a video on your website. And I was trying to write them down, but I'm not going to be as eloquent with them trying to remember them. So I'd love for you to highlight some of the staggering statistics about what impacts black women or women of color in general, but specifically, I think black women, as far as um, being mamas and, and trying to birth and, and statistics that are just staggering when when put next to each other. Yes, unfortunately, um, black mamas are two times more likely to suffer from infertility, two to, t two to three times more likely um, to have an unplanned pregnancy, two times more likely to deliver preterm, two to three times more likely to have a pregnancy that ends in a fetal demise, and three to four times more likely to experience a maternal death as a result of pregnancy-related complications. And that actually goes up even higher as mamas get older um, and in certain parts of the country. I mean, it's absolutely staggering. And it's interesting because we have found and we're continuing to see that it isn't, it isn't even a matter of socioeconomic status. I mean, you know, Serena Williams, those stories, Beyonce, all these complications. We recently lost a pediatrician um, you know, someone who is doing this in and around medicine all the time to these largely preventable pregnancy related complications. And so um, it's, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating. Um, we should all feel that way and it should all move us and drive us towards wanting to fix this, you know, yeah. wanting to find how we can bridge this gap and improve this. Yeah. And I think it, it we've got to have the education we've got to empower people to to seek out the knowledge and to want to be better whether you're as a mama or you're in the medical industry and then we need to elevate that representation and that knowledge so that way we have this understanding mainstream and widespread so we're able to provide the proper care to these different mamas so they get the support they need and they don't have these complications they don't have these miscarriages they don't have these preventable situations because people are asking the right questions, providing the right support and putting themselves in positions for the women to succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
last question as we're heading to the final segments. I want to know if someone is listening and they're maybe a little nervous, but they want to seek out more information and they they really want to do the work themselves, but perhaps they're not even in the area. What would you advise them as far as the next steps for themselves to educate themselves and empower themselves and elevate themselves? You know, I would seek out support organizations that are working in this space. There are some really great ones. Um, the Black Mamas Matter Alliance mm. uh, is one of my go-to organizations. They have really been a pioneering organization that has helped move forward legislation um, and other um, recognition weeks and things that bring awareness to these issues. They've been very vocal um, about their stance. They helped to pioneer several of the, the bills and acts that have been presented before lawmakers recently to help improve these outcomes. And so I think they would be a good resource. If you're looking for either a black or brown provider or a culturally competent provider, there's a really nice app called Health and Her Hue, um, which is downloadable. And um, you can find um, people in your area in various specialties. Uh, that might be a good place to start. Social media is a great place to start. I often search hashtags <laughs> uh, when I'm looking for um, uh, Black doctors or uh, um, people who are aligned with, with, with this mission. I think that's a good place to start as well. I think also um, you need to really focus on the advocacy um, and being a, a person who realizes that, you know, you're going to need the support. You're going to be in situations where you need the support. And so you need to be able to communicate to your family and friends what your wishes are um, so that not only you know and can advocate for yourself, but should you find yourself in a situation where you cannot, um, you have folks around who, who understand your wishes, understand your desires, and can be that advocate for you. Yeah. I think those are all three good, good areas to start in. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, well, now we're going to transition to this segment, uh, Things to Check Out. So it's a segment where I provide one thing that I'm currently reading and listening to, and I ask my guests what they're re currently reading and listening to. So I will go first. Uh, what I'm currently reading, I'm currently rereading uh, We Were Eight Years in Power by Tennessee Coates. It's a fantastic book where Tennessee Coates provides uh, eight essays that he wrote for The Atlantic during the President Obama years, and then a uh, reflection companion piece on the article he already wrote. So it's fantastic. And uh, what I'm currently listening to is a podcast by NPR called Louder Than a Riot. It traces the interconnected rise of hip hop and mass incarceration. And uh, new episodes start every or it started Thursday, October 8th, but new episodes release on an ongoing basis. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to listen and learn and read perspectives uh, that are not my own and understand how these implicit biases and um, systemic racism has been around for so long and it's interconnected in so many different ways that I, as a white man in America, am not even aware of because I don't encounter it on a daily basis. Um, gotcha. So so now I would love to know what are you currently listening to and uh, who are you, who are you, what are you currently reading and who are you currently listening to? I'm actually currently reading Medical Apartheid. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great book. And I am basically trying to bridge the gap, that educational gap that we talked about, um, which is, you know, how in training as a medical provider, we miss the history and it's not presented to us and taught to us in regards to um, the history of how black women and black people in general uh, were treated during slavery, how that same 
bias and those um, those preconceptions have followed us to where we are now, how it informs even now um, our apprehension in regards to dealing with the medical profession. And so it's been eye-opening. It really has been eye-opening. It, it definitely has informed me about the the lived experiences of my of my ancestors and 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 really starting to understand kind of generational trauma and how it still affects mm. um, how it still affects me today. So that's yeah. been a very eye opening read. And then podcast wise, I'm actually um, trying to educate myself about marketing. Um, um, and so I've been actually looking at a lot of um, YouTube and marketing podcasts awesome. um, because, because again, I don't want the mission to just be confined to South Dallas. You know, sure. I don't want the message to just be confined to here. I really want to position myself to help as many people as I can. So that's, that's, I'm trying to learn about that because I didn't go to school for marketing and business. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I think I totally, totally get that. So I understand. The generational trauma that you're talking about is so, I mean, it's so prevalent and it's so, it's, it was interesting to me to understand, I think like I'm just going off of that because it, it was something where I heard someone talk about, it might've been a Ted talk where he talked about, I think we, we all, um, we can understand generational trauma as far as like, um, a feeling, but when you look at the data and see the actual physical effects of generational trauma, it's staggering how it continues. And this is why you have to have somebody who understands that, who recognizes that and is able to speak to that as opposed to just saying, well, I don't know why things are the way they are. I guess you just better like do better. And it's like, well, that's super helpful. Thanks. Like mm -hmm. it's, that's crazy. And, and I mean, and, here's just yeah. a, here's an example of it. I mean, I have these conversations daily uh, with my patients in regards to, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm. When you think about the history of black people and vaccinations and, and medicine and that type of thing and the experimentation, the lack of informed research, mm -hmm. you understand why someone who looks like me or my elders are hesitant to participate in these trials who are mistrustful of these processes who feel that, you know, I'm going to wait this out and see if, you know, I'm going to let them gather some more data, um, see some more long-term consequences before I sign up for something like this. And you have to have that convert. You have to understand where that's coming from. And you have to also take it to the next step and educate and say, you know, we, one of the things that's continuing to subject us to potentially poor health outcomes is if we're not a part of the trials that help develop these things, right. then the researcher, the medical profession cannot know if it's going to be as effective for us. Right. Um, because there are, um, there are nuances and differences uh, when it comes to treating different people groups. And you can't necessarily say because it worked for this group of people, it's going to be, that's going to be generalizable among all people. And so it's, it's, you know, it's conversations that we're still having to this day that are rooted in these types of histories. Right. Definitely. hundred um, percent. Thank you so much for sharing that because this has just been a really empowering episode and I absolutely love it. Um, the final segment of the show uh, is the dad joke of the week. So it is a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out for me, but I do you like <laughs> to put my guest on the spot? Um, Dr. Woodis, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up first? No, okay. not at this time. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Um, so I've got I've got some, and I've got they're very grown worthy, and they're all uh, baby themed. So I tried mm -hmm. to tried to stay on on brand or on theme tonight. Uh, so first of all, 
Uh, Dr. Woodis, what do you call a group of baby soldiers? Baby GIs? Oh, no, that's good. An infantry. An infantry. Mm. All right. Oh, uh, I don't know uh, if you've heard of the pregnant bed bug, but she's going to have her baby in the spring. Pregnant bed bug in the spring. All right. Uh. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Last one. Last one. Here we go. Why did the man, uh, or let's just say this, why did the spouse bring their pregnant wife a small lizard? Hmm. Let's see. Hmm, I don't know. Well, she told him to pick up a baby monitor. Baby monitor, monitor lizard. There we go. Uh, <laughs> all right, okay. all right, all right. Yeah, if yeah, people, if <laughs> I think good is relative. Um, <laughs> um, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? My website, wittisobigen.com, is a great place to start. I'm also on all social media. Just got a Twitter account today. Congrats. There's nothing there. But uh, <laughs> Instagram, YouTube, my handle is at docwittis. That's D-O-C-W-O-O-D, as in Daisy, U-S as in Sam. Perfect. Thank you so much. We do need a hashtag for this episode. And I wrote down a hashtag with something you said that I feel like it was appropriate, but I want to get your perspective. I wrote down hashtag anticipate the bias. Spot on. All right. Perfect. Well, Dr. Woodis, thank you again so much for coming. This has been absolutely great. And I'm really excited to hopefully speak to you again on a future episode and check in, see how things are going, because this is this we need more of these types of conversations and representation, because without it, we're only going to stagnate. So thank you absolutely. so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And listeners, I'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, hashtag anticipate the bias. And as always, I will hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.